This is Solid Snake. And you know, when a soldier's on the battlefield, all he thinks is, who's next? Who's next podcast? Groovy. This is Who's Next Podcast. Hello. I have with me Mr. Kevin. Oh. We're back with another game episode. It's going to be a little different. Uh, we're supposed to do movies and comics. Um, it's, it's it's getting hard to be a little more consistent with the guys on the movie and comic side of things. So we might do more game episodes or we might even change this up. Down the road, we're not doing a Losing Lives. This episode is going to be a little different. But I just wanted to put something something out, something that could be fun with me and my man Kev here, especially since the RE4 demo came out. And we've definitely had a lot of time with that. So um, I think we have a lot to say on that. And we'll probably get almost right into it. There's only one or two news stories I have here. One ties into RE4, so I'll hold that off. Um, but there is one that there's a rumor or some kind of documents coming out that there seems to be plans for PlayStation to roll out the PS6 in 2027. Uh, but I've I don't heard know how, about that. Yeah, I don't know how accurate that might be. I haven't really seen a lot of the more mainline um, gaming news sites really cover that, so that almost makes me think that it's bullshit. But it, you know, it I could be. It, it seems kind of soon because we're just now. I feel like we're just now starting to get to um like PS5, Xbox Series S like console type games. Series X, S or whatever. Um like I don't think we've fully seen a real next gen title. Like there's there's a handful of games that I feel like have looked really good and have like kind of pushed into that sphere, but not much that I can really think of is there is there any games that really strike you as like this is the next generation of gaming that have come out in recent kev uh no not really like i mean it's just been a continuation of what we've been doing for like the past decade or more almost two decades it's just higher fidelity better graphics you know better frame rates at freaking First at freaking 1080, and then at freaking 1440, and now everybody's trying to get higher frame rates at 4K. So like, I like like I was saying, like there's a certain point you hit a plateau. So I don't know what's gonna mark that next generation of gaming. Like it went back in the day, like the shift from 2D to 3D, or uh, the uptick in resolution from like in uh, from like going like from you know, I don't know the N64, the PlayStation One to like the PlayStation Two, right? And games becoming so much more cinematic and having like all of this freaking voice work and stuff in it. So I don't know where or the industry could evolve from here to really say, yeah, this is the next generation. Like the only thing in my mind that I think could even possibly be that is maybe Unreal Engine Five is like because Un- Unreal Five just looks so much. At least in the tech demos. Got to remember, these are tech demos. These aren't freaking games that are being made in it. But the tech demos that they're putting out look so fucking much more realistic and like high fidelity than anything else out there. But 
like I said, I don't know. It feels to me like we're really starting to hit that wall and that plateau of where gaming is going so far. And for there to be another big step, I think they're going to have to think outside the box, come up with some kind of good new idea like VR. Like a VR ended up, it's been a niche thing, but if it ended up having a killer app, something that's just like everybody's got to get this and fucking play this, then it would kick off really kick off the VR uh, market, you know? And that could become maybe the next thing. Uh, Maybe. Uh, Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I think that is something that VR is missing. Um, My understanding of what I thought would be the push in this generation would be the loading times and, like, the possibility of being able to, like, bring in a lot of different things in, into the world and more seamless gaming. Like, for instance, I think Dead Space Remake kind of did that where there were no loading screens in the whole game it was just a seamless everywhere you go through the whole map you can go back and forth there was no stop for a loading screen yeah for consoles that was a new thing yeah. there have been a couple of pc games that's something pc's been doing for a minute for a good minute but for consoles yeah I would but say has that, pc that... been doing that with like a triple a title of that magnitude like that with no load say, screenings? Well, uh, you got to remember, PC, a lot of the thing, these games, they would store a level in, in memory like that so that they wouldn't need a lot of those load times and everything. Um, you couldn't usually get that on console because the amount of uh, RAM that you would need, usually it usually wasn't fitting on the consoles. But now... Consoles are catching up to PC. They're getting very close to PC level. I mean, they already are at PC level graphics, pretty much. Yeah. But now, um, in terms of specs, too, they're getting very close. Like, PCs are start. It's just starting to pull ahead. Now that we got, like, 4090 cards, and people are starting to put, like, 32 gigs of RAM in their, in their machines, and it's not costing you, you know, fucking a few hundred dollars just to get, you know, a couple of sticks of RAM. Yeah. Um. He's starting to pull ahead again, and in that, in the, but consoles are still a good, they're still at a good price point for power and freaking, you know, uh, performance. Yeah. So I think it was a new thing for console. Um, as far as like PC games that do it, I'm trying to think of some. Um, because I know that there are some in the past that have done it. Like I think this has been a thing since like the early 2000s. That kind of PCs have kind of done this. I want to say somewhere around. I want to say late two thousand, maybe two thousand eight, two thousand ten or so. Like mm-hmm. there, were, there were probably some games that came out. Okay, all right. No, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, for consoles at least, it's been kind of more of a new thing. So, um, that I mean, I just thought that my understanding was we would see games that kind of play with that ability to have that kind of like I guess, lack of a better word, like horsepower behind it to be able to kind of challenge what you can, I guess, put on screen or what you can load in more instantly to have like a more, I guess, more dynamic play in a game. And yeah. I don't think we've seen anything quite to that just yet uh, that I can recall. I mean, there's some things that have pushed it for sure, but I mean, most of the big titles for these PS5 consoles have PS4 versions of it. So, um, I mean, maybe it doesn't hit the 60 frames all the time with everything in the PS4, but I mean, that's about, I guess that's about it. So 
I don't know. I don't know if we're exactly ready for another generation that soon, if those rumors are true. But like I said, I haven't yeah, seen a lot of a lot of big big name um, news coverage on it. So I kind of take that with a grain of salt if that's actually going to be the case. So oh, yeah, well, I don't think we are. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, yeah. like PS5 still has plenty of life left in it. Um, yeah. And they could still squeeze so much out of that system. Like it would be. Mm. Like, I think it would be crazy. Like, they just launched PS5 as being their enthusiast-level uh, yeah. console, right? Mm -hmm. So, to come out with a couple of years, and like four years for PS6, what are they going to call PS6? Are they going to call it freaking, um, is that going to be their new enthusiast level? Is yeah. that going to be their new model? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know what it would bring to the table. That would be the other question, you know? Yeah. So, what what could it do that would dramatically change what the PS5 can do? So anyway, but uh, 2027 is still uh, about four more years out. So it's still some time. I don't know. We'll see. Cause uh, I think this uh, PlayStation five released. What um, was it right around 2020? I want to say the 20 in the 2019 in the 2020. I think, I it think was so. Yeah. Kinda plagued with yeah. The I think it was years. So that's like seven years. It's almost seven, eight years within the cycle most of these things go for 10 or more i'd say though around 10 8 to 10 so i mean it's not too early if it's 2027 but it's on the earlier side for sure um anyway i just thought that was kind of interesting um i i did we could talk about this i actually want to save the thing you have to lo to roll into the kind of topic of this episode which is like console war stuff um um, the Suicide Squad's getting pushed back. Oh yeah. So that that's kind of the news there too. That it's like it had a bad showing at the um, what was it? It was PlayStation State of Play, right? That they showed that they did like a like a exclusive fifteen minute look at gameplay and whatever else. Was or, it a State of Play? I forget where they showed it at. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a State of Play or something PlayStation centric. Um, that they were rolling that out. And uh, looked terrible. Looked like a looter shooter skinned, you know, Batman thing or Suicide Squad thing, you know, like I, I'm I'm not excited about it at all. We joked about it at the end of last episode about machine gun stuff, right? And like yeah. King Shark jumping around with like an assault rifle is just such a silly sight. Um when King Shark like I've never seen a movie animated or anything that put like guns in King Shark's hands. Like he's always ripped people apart, fucked people up, you know, whatever. So like it just being a gun thing, and then it's like, um I've seen some highlights of like they're shooting like the back of some giant monster has a purple highlighted thing. Shoot that. Like it's just simple shit like that. To where it it's it doesn't seem very inspired. It, it seems, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the thought process here is. I, I'm wondering how much more there is to this, but uh, maybe not much if they're already like, oh, we're going to push it back to the end of the year. From what I understand, which I don't know what you, it was supposed to come out, I think, in what? Around summer, right? Like May? Was that right? Like May? Yeah, it was very close. Their their initial release date. Yeah. I think it was. I, I don't see what you change in a couple months 
Uh, and, and and until we see the stories of crunch roll out and like <laughs> Rocksteady employees have been working 20, 23 hours a day for two hours <laughs> of sleep to fix Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, fun. that's fucking terrible. Oh yeah. My God. Yeah. Oh, I, I wouldn't I be mean, surprised if we start hearing some stories leak out like that. Like. Because, like, honestly, if you're going to fix this game to me, in my opinion, if you're going to fix this game to get my money for it, I actually just need a new game. Like, a completely different game. Almost from the ground up. Yeah, almost from the ground up. And you can't fix that within a couple months. Like, I'm not interested in this whatever looter shooter fucking uh, Fortnite looking thing that this is is not it for me like i don't i am not excited about this at all and i don't know what happens in a couple months to change that so yeah it's i mean i i would take gotham knights any day of the week over that because at least gotham knights stuck to some of the more similar batman for and it wasn't the greatest either it definitely could have been much better Uh, but there were a few things they got right and they had the right idea, and I think it just needed more polish. Somebody to really fine tune it. It could have been something really great, um, which sucks that it, it just was. Yeah, you know. But right. Um. Anyway, that that you know that's sad news. I I don't. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I feel like they could do, and like say like I was like I was talking to Jesse, you know, I was telling Jesse the same thing that uh best case scenario for this game with this delay, they delay it until like late November, freaking December, you know, no for, uh Q four sometime, you know. Yeah. Uh and they crunch on it and it gives them like maybe another six months to do something. Yeah. Um so they could in that six months they could you know, maybe change how some of the characters play. Like they maybe they could make King Shark a melee guy. They could, you know, uh, have Captain Boomerang actually use his fucking boomerangs instead of having a fucking machine gun. Yeah. And they can try to iron out some of these things, but the core gameplay is still going to be there, and the core game is still going to be just yeah. a looter shooter. Like, so if you're not into a looter shooter, then you're not. There's no version of this game that you're probably going to like. I'd um, agree. I'd agree, and it, and that's yeah. why it's it's. I'm pretty sh- pretty confident that it won't have my money f- day one, unless it's like an Xbox Live, even <laughs> Game Pass thing or something, you know. Which it, it right. won't be. There's no way I see that being that. It would. I would be surprised if it is. But um, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. Um, the the Capcom had their spotlight, which was. Eh, they didn't really have much there. I mean, just some RE4 stuff and, you know, a little more Street Fighter Six things that are kind of not really much to really dig into, at least for me. I, I don't really have much to say on, on a bit of that that I haven't already said, I guess. Um, there was something interesting, though. There is a thing called babyeagleismissing.com. Okay, if, if y'all want to go to that site, there is a prequel to Resident Evil 4 Remake where... It's like a text game where you're reading and piecing together like clues to uh, a crime uh, of not not a crime, but like a um, uh, of how the president's daughter got kidnapped. So a crime. 
Well, yeah, yeah, crime. I, I'm, 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 I was trying to word it something different, but yes, uh, the kidnapping of the president's daughter, not just some regular crime, I guess is the point I was trying to make, but it is a crime. Yeah. Um, uh, like when you, you click the first one, baby Eagle is missing handler. I know it's your first day with protection detail unit, but we're pulling you into the big leagues. The president's daughter codenamed baby Eagle has been kidnapped. We need every warm body available on this. Dozens of agents have been mobilized to the scene, but we need global intel and assistance. You'll be analyzing and decoding the fragmented data we are getting from the ground. Everything they know, you'll know, and together, hopefully we can recover Baby Eagle before it's too late. So uh, I haven't really played it all the way through. I've kind of texted and messed around with it a little bit. Um, What the fuck? Oh, my God, this thing. I hope this is not coming through. I'm sorry if y'all hearing some beeping, but apparently... I don't know. Discord's beeping at me for something, and I don't know what. Um, have you been hearing anything? No, not on my side. Okay. All right. Let me see if I can't get into my um, settings. And um, you wouldn't know how to turn off the notifications tab. Oh yeah, you can turn off notifications for it. Uh, it's beeping at you probably because somebody's posting in one of the servers that you're in uh yeah, i think so you just click the gear and go down the notifications there's gonna there should be a little gear uh at the bottom like bottom left corner yeah okay Get to your user settings and, uh, i see it right there are you talking about a discord yeah enable desktop notifications i could just shut that off Yep, you can just turn it off. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Sorry, listeners. Sorry for an interruption there, but I kept hearing the beep. I don't know if it's coming through, so I just wanted to stop it. All right, hopefully that stops it. Cool. Anyway, so yeah, the Resident Evil 4 site, it's a site there that you can, it's just like a little little mini game thing to kind of give you a little prequel on like how the president's daughter got kidnapped, the situation around it, and like I'm assuming it ends with you finding uh, like she's in, like uh, I believe they're in Spain, right? Because they're in Europe. Um, somewhere in Europe, if I'm not mistaken, where the game takes place, right? I'm right on that. Yeah, uh, it's in. I don't know if Europe is in Spain, but it's definitely like they're in Europe. It's supposed to be like this Spanish kind of uh mm-hmm. place. I don't know if it's specifically Spain. Let's see. I'm gonna look it up. I don't remember offhand. Um, location. Yep. Uh, an unnamed village in Spain. I was right. Spain. Yeah, Valdelobos. Valdelobos is the name of the village. It's funny though. The story is supposed to take place in Spain, but the Spanish spoken by the village people is the Mexican dialect. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know how us, how we do. Even the Japanese feel the same way. All y'all are Mexican. We don't give a shit. It's just a bunch of Mexicans <laughs> running around. You motherfuckers. <laughs> the Japanese are the same as those Americans. They're like, oh, they're all Mexican. <laughs> they speak the Mexican language. <laughs> That's right. When I when we all look at them, and when, we all, when we look at them, we all, tell, we all call them all Chinese. And yeah. That's right. It's the they're same like, thing. All these motherfuckers wanna... keep thinking we're Chinese. They all Mexican, so it don't fucking matter. They speak in Mexican in this game. <laughs> Donde estas? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god all right 
Anyways, I, I thought be, if uh, listeners are, you know, super excited like I am and uh, I believe Kev, you are as well, about the RE4 remake coming out and you want just a little something, there is a little extra something there. Um, I thought I would mention that. That's pretty cool. Um, the thing we're doing today is going to be uh, one of the books I've read, Console Wars. I grabbed a bunch of fun little stories from it that we're going to cover and go through but before we do that instead of doing it in the front and then talk about what we played we're going to talk about what we played now and get into re4 and then we'll roll into that and then talk about what you had brought up about playstation um so um i'll go a little bit i guess first on what i've been playing and that's been a lot of street fighter and mortal kombat um mortal kombat's been kind of popping since the news leaked about an mk12 i guess because like that's what one of uh we had somebody come in on the stream and, and basically tell us that right that like you yeah know, i had like two people jump in stream and like can we fight and i'm like yeah cool you know so we jumped in and did some matches and um uh, was like man a lot of people coming in saying it, and they're like yeah mk12's got everybody back on 11 so i was like oh shit i guess that makes sense so Mortal Kombat's been kind of a popping scene there. Um, so that's been good. Uh, I've been working around on my Terminator um, pretty good. Um, yeah, not really say much there. Um, Street Fighter Five. I've still been playing around, just kind of keeping things going because getting ready for Street Fighter Six. And uh, man, I don't know if it's my control. I have some issues with Mortal Kombat too, with certain ways I'm doing my buttons like pushing in for these combos and stuff and it just keeps dropping it keeps doing dumb shit i don't know what the fuck's going on so i might mess around with another controller and just see what's up but um i have a little struggles but i'm, I'm doing all right i keep bouncing in and out of the silver rank uh jesse's been having the same problem from nerd shout out to nerds the podcast so um yeah but um uh, Hollow Knight's been good. I finally ran into a boss that really gave me some trouble, actually. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, the Soul Tyrant, I think is the name of it. Oh, I think I know what your boss you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people play Hollow Knight. Mm-hmm. But He's kind of this kind of like big guy who floats, like kind of flies around. He'll like teleport across the screen a lot and then just come down. He'll like come down, hit the ground, and, and smash, and like it'll cause like a blast of stuff. And then like... He'll shoot little orbs around that kind of follow you a bit. Um, the first time you fight him actually wasn't that bad. I beat him on the first try. Like, he, he wasn't too rough. But then you can find his, like, his body's just staying there. And you get, like, a dream sword, I guess is what they call it. I want to say that's the name of it. It's like, yeah, if, you, if and- you hit things with it, you can see, like, their thoughts and things like that. And when you hit this boss, you transport to a dream world where you can fight this boss again. Yeah, it's a harder version of the boss. Yes, it is a harder version of the boss. And this motherfucker gave me some trouble for a bit. <laughs> yeah. He's like one around. of he's the boss that everybody quotes as being like probably one, as like one of the hardest if not the hardest in the game. Oh, really? Uh, hmm. Yeah, that's he's the one that everybody quotes. Yeah, um, he was uh he was pretty rough. It took me a little while to get around on him. Once I got it though, it's it wasn't too bad. Um, but yeah, he, the thing that's hard about him too, is that he's kind of a long fight too. Like he's got yeah. he's beefy on his health. So, um, uh, but I finally got him. Um, so that's done. 
But then I'm opening up that map. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's the hardest boss, then maybe I'm much farther in the game. Like, I, I don't really have an idea of how far I am along in it. I feel well, uh, like maybe halfway. Well, Hollow Knight isn't linear. It's a uh, it's very metroidvania in that you can yeah. do specific, you can kind of go places out of order mm-hmm. and do things. So you might have gotten to the Soul Tyrant maybe before you were supposed to or something. Ah, maybe. Uh, but yeah, maybe so. Uh, maybe so. I mean, I went and bought a light. I think you get one from someone, but I bought one to get into some of the dark caves and search around there. And um, I still haven't gotten anything. There's some areas I can't go to yet because it looks like I have to be able to go in in certain types of water that I'm not able to do so yet. So uh, I'm still looking for that, but um, I make a decent progress, you know. Uh, have you found? Um, have you found the nightmare troop? Yeah, I mean, not the Nightmare Troop, the Grim Troop. The Grim Troop. Uh, yeah, it's like, uh, um, there's this boss, uh, it's a, bit of a, a little bit of a spoiler, there's a boss called the Nightmare King Grim. Okay. Uh, he's also one of the ones that people often say is one of the hardest bosses in the game. And I think he's one that you counter kind of later in the game. Because the, I think you need... What's the name of it uh, again? The Nightmare... Yeah, um, it's around. It's in the. Uh, you have to collect flames around the hollow nest. You said in order the, to get the nightmare king. Nightmare king Grim is is the name of the, is the name of the boss. Okay, let me. I'm trying to look just to see an image to see what it looks like. Oh no, I have not fought this yet. Mm-mm. Okay, so you're probably or yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You're probably around the halfway mark because I think this guy cool is fuck, kind of though. towards. Yeah, this guy's kind of toward one of the later bosses. Oh, you can this is an optional final boss of the Grim Troop in Hollow Knight. It's optional. Okay. He's the dream form of the Troop Master Grim. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Unlocking yeah, he's one of the- his journal entry requires defeating him in Dirt Mouth. Huh. So I'll have to try and see if I can unlock that boss and fight him. That's cool. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> okay cool all right that's dope um uh i'll be interested to try and make sure i don't miss that fight that would be a cool fight um but it looks like it's optional so i guess there's a chance i can miss that you know what i mean yeah i think a lot of the hardest bosses are optional or the optional ones through the uh the i forget what it's called like the dream nail or whatever it is the dream sword yeah i think it's just dream sword i'm not completely sure but i want to say it's that yeah i know what you're talking about where you basically hit the bodies and then like you can enter into their dream and fight their like nightmare versions or whatnot so yeah that'll be um it'll be interesting okay but i'm having a lot of fun with um uh, fun with it it's good hollow knight's really really cool little game man uh i feel real bad for sleeping on it for so long i'm glad i'm finally starting again i might need to stream some of it it's just been something i've been playing at night after i'm done streaming other stuff so it's just been kind of my game but you know, anyway, um, what are the games you've been playing before we get into Resident Evil Four? Uh, uh, besides Resident Evil Four, I play. I tried to get back into World Long a bit. Uh, I haven't played in. I actually uh, let me go back. Let me. Uh, I was playing Guardians, right? I said I was playing Guardians. Uh, I actually really been enjoying it. Um, I've been playing it on the hardest difficulty, 
and the enemies and everything, because it's my first playthrough and I'm playing it on hard, they all feel really kind of bullet spongy. Um, so one of the things that uh, features that I really appreciate about the game is that you can actually go into the option settings and you can pretty much kind of customize your difficulty because you can change things like how much damage you do to enemies, how much damage enemies do to you, um, like whether um, whether certain actions break lock-on, uh, like how long uh, your abilities and shit can like stun enemies for and shit. Like you can really kind of customize your, uh, your difficulty like that. So what I did was I just went in and I just turned up my damage from like low because it was on low to medium because like I said, the enemies just felt really fucking bullet spongy and it, it just, it did, that was the worst part about it. It, didn't, it made fights kind of feel like they drug on longer than what they should have. So uh, I turned my damage up to medium, and it made it feel much better. Like, the fights still feel tough. I still die. Um, but it doesn't feel like I'm there fucking forever trying to kill one enemy. That um, makes sense, yeah. So I really like that. I think that's a really good feature. I would like to see it more in, uh, in you know, other games. Uh, the game itself is really... I like the story. It's kind of like... It reminds me of, like, the... Um, choose your own adventure kind of things that are used to, I used to do as a kid with like the books and like some other games that are like that. Uh, the telltale games, I guess are a little bit like that too, in which that your decisions can kind of affect the outcome in a bit, which is yeah, uh, pretty cool. Um, that being said, uh, I actually did roll credits on the game. I'm just kind of decided if I want to go back and actually, cause I got the bad ending, uh, is what is pretty much what it is. you know, like how in, um, Outer Wilds, you can fly into the sun, and then that's just the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I pretty much did the same thing. There's a thing in the game where you're trying to free a little girl from the influence of, like, I guess you could call it, like, uh, I think it's the Soul Stone. I actually don't know, but I think it's the, it's the Soul Stone. Because uh, um, the little girl is the girl. She has these freaking powers and everything that she gets, and she's saying that she's promising all these people that she can bring them their loved ones back to life and shit. And at the part where you first meet her and you confront her, like then you find out who this, uh, they call her the matriarch throughout the game. And you find the first meet the matriarch to see who she is. She kind of uses the soul stones power on you to kind of influence you. Right. And then you have that kind of, um, moment where you have to choose between reality and a dream and like all that shit. Well, I wanted to see how far it would go. So I let the fucking soul stone pretty much freaking, uh, I chose the dream. I let the soul stone freaking, win and it rolled like it actually ended the game it rolled credits and i was like oh wow damn they actually freaking let you end the game that way that's pretty freaking cool huh. so i'm deciding about whether or not i actually want to go and um get the uh the good ending or not okay well, that's interesting i kind of uh, like that i like a game that kind of does that that it gives um yeah different endings and you know doesn't like uh you still get the same ending you just some little differences here and there so that's cool right it could have it could have forced you to do one thing but it doesn't like i don't have to go i, I rolled credits i beat uh, i freaking the game was in so i don't have to go back and finish it but i kind of do i kind of don't i don't know because uh i mean i got to the 16th i could probably finish it other than that uh i tried to play with some more long um i beat the first boss and that's probably as far as i've gotten and so far a lot of I'm people not... talk about that that the first boss is and, it, and it, it is kind of the first boss is like one of the hardest bosses that you'll fight i think um 
Uh, I don't want to say the hardest boss in the game that you'll fight, because I don't know, I haven't played it through, but a lot of people have said they've gone through and fought many other bosses, and I, I can speak to this too. And, like, the first boss is actually fairly difficult compared to many of the other bosses I've fought throughout the game. I mean, so far, Wulong has felt fairly easy? Yeah, that's what aspects. everyone's saying. Yeah, like, our- with the parry mechanics and everything being such a part of it, it's not as uh, make or break like a Sekiro is. There, the timing windows feel a little more generous. Um, it's not as hard to do. There are some enemies or bosses that will like test that, where you kind of keep hitting the B button. But there is an issue that if you double tap B, then it becomes a dodge. So the fact that they made the dodge into the parry same button is kind of problematic as far as like yeah. the controls are concerned. Um, I also know that the nerds have said that they, when they played, they've played two player, maybe even three player, and like it significantly increases enemy health and stuff like that. Hmm. It, okay. it actually is, it actually feels a lot more difficult playing with more people than just playing solo. Like playing solo is actually an easier way to play the game. Wow, really? That's interesting. Yeah, that, that's what they were saying. Um, I haven't experienced it for myself, but I did find that kind of interesting that um, it, it's that much of a significant increase when you have someone else with you, you know? So um, it's also something, I guess, to take note of. I've played a few more bosses past the first one. And, like, yeah, the first one, it's funny, the first boss, I almost killed him on the first try. Like, Went through the first phase, and then the second phase I got him, like, over half his health gone before I slipped up and he killed me. Yeah, and, and, I kind of had the same thing happen to me. And then it I got him down. became a wall after that. Yeah. He, I got him down to just about, uh, he was almost dead. Um, like, I got him down to, like, quarter health or whatever in his, like, his second phase, because I just tore through his first phase. Like, he didn't even get a hit off on me in his first phase. Um in the second phase, it just gets like it feels like the difficulty spikes, and like it got harder. But he ended up, I ended up slipping up, and he killed me. And then like, um, I had to go back and you know try it. It became like you said, it became a little bit of a wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I died a couple times to him, but it wasn't nothing that was like three days later. I'm still turning it on to fight this guy. Like it's nothing like that. It just took a couple tries, and I finally got him. But yeah. it was um, it was more of a wall than what anything else has been so far. My brother's named one or two enemies or other bosses that you come across that um, actually a little more harder than what the, the rest are. But he said from his he's a lot farther on in the game and he says, it, yeah, it's really not that much more difficult throughout. So I don't know. I mean. For those who not liking too much of a challenge, like oh, it's a Souls or Neo, because I know Neo got its name out there for being a fairly difficult game as well. It seems like if you could just get the parrying down, this game may not be as bad, especially for a solo playthrough. It's not going to be as much of a chore, other than maybe yeah. like the very first boss. <laughs> this game is this game is definitely designed to try to be much more approachable in terms of difficulty and like mechanics and things yeah. like that. Um, yeah, I haven't really been feeling like too much of a pull to go back and play it though, just because 
the I mean the story is ridiculous. The voice acting is fucking ridiculous yeah, in the it's game. Bad. Yeah. Um it feels like I don't know, outside of and then the combat's okay, but it doesn't feel like anything impress it doesn't impress me it doesn't feel like oh yeah i want to go back and play more of that because the combat feels so good yeah like it doesn't it doesn't feel that way to me so i'm struggling to find motivation to like actually go through and complete it yeah i'm kind of in the same boat it's not a bad game i don't hate it like I, there's a lot of good stuff there but it, it just is not doing as much to, to and pull me in I mean, maybe if I had it on PlayStation and I was playing with my brother or something, or maybe me and right. you start playing. I think it's PC, Xbox. Uh, yeah, we could play so together. Yeah, we should try that. We should try and do some runs with it and see how it goes as a two-player. Because I did. I think the nerds also made a comment on their last podcast that you know it's a little more fun uh, with, with someone as well. So um, I don't know. It, it might be better that way. We'll see. Uh, I, I think we should try it. Um, yeah. see how that goes yeah. but uh yeah wulong's pretty it, it's good it, it's it's a good game especially if you got game pass and you ain't got nothing else to play definitely download it give it a shot you know yeah. like what does it hurt you know but i don't know if i would go out on a whim and pay 60 70 dollars for it i think i might wait for it to like come down in price but yeah. um that depends i mean eric says he loves the game he was telling me the other day that he can He's playing it right now, actually. Yeah, I can look yeah. at him on freaking Discord. I can see he's playing it because uh, he does it. PS5 has finally got freaking Discord, so I can see what he's playing, and he's playing it right now. Nice. He says he wants to platinum it. So, mm. yeah. Man, Eric likes that uh, stuff. He platinum Sekiro like this. I can see, I can see it draws. It feels more of a Sekiro blend into Neo almost. Like there's, I don't know. There's some similar well, game styles to it but i mean it's definitely not exactly sekiro yeah that's what i'm saying like if i had to give it a ratio i'd say it's maybe like 90 percent neo and like 10 percent sekiro yeah like yeah i would i would tend to agree with that i haven't played neo a lot but i've played it some and um that sounds fair yeah um anyways i guess you want to get into resident evil 4 yeah just go ahead okay um, man, so the demo came out, so all we can talk about really is the first, so there's no real spoilers here, really. I mean, there's nothing, there's no real story beats that get covered in this, in particular, other than the yeah, fact, yeah. like, and it's fairly straightforward from the beginning, but I, I will say, though, so the beginning of the original game, you get out of the car and you basically go right into the village and shit hits the fan, right? That's kind of how the yeah, first one goes. Yeah, I remember, yeah. In this one, you have to, they, they put a little more in front of you where you go in through this house and you roll across these like zombie type people. They're not zombies. They're like these kind of uh, infected by a parasite that causes them to like attack you, but they still have some kind of um, hold onto their faculties, I guess you could say, because they can think and like... um try and do things to to get you you know they're not just mindlessly walking around so they'll climb through windows open doors and stuff like that and i think if i remember right yeah. even in the original game they get even a little smarter than that they'll try and get you around in traps and stuff so um, yeah the, the last plagus is the uh re is resident evil's version of the smart zombie basically yeah yeah it's basically what it is yeah for the most part it is 
So um, you go through a cabin, you see the dead cops, and like you see all this religious stuff of these dead, uh, what is it, like dead deers and stuff like that? They yeah. Have, like the antlers around and stuff. And it's, um, they, they definitely play into the horror uh, a bit more. It doesn't feel as action-y and silly as the original, but the silliness is still kind of there. I mean, the guy threw an ax at me and I watched him pull another ax out of his pocket. And I was like, okay. So they actually kept that function yeah. of the game. In the the meme, some of the more meme shit, I think they kept there for fans of, of the original. Because that's like one of the things. The fact that the dude pulls the ax out of his freaking pocket. Yeah, like he literally did it again. I, I watched to see and I was like, oh shit, they kept it. Look at that. <laughs> infinite, like just an infinite black hole inside of all their pockets were just axes or <laughs> whatever the fuck they got. The they just got a fucking bag of holding full of yep. full of axes and shit. Yeah, yeah. Fa- fucking fantastic. Um, so so that's still a part of it there with with that. Um, but it it does have a more like you go down the stairs, like you go into the house, you go down the stairs, and you find one of the last cop bodies. And when you're coming back up, all of a sudden these these monsters, the uh, monster comes out. One of the yeah. guys, well, not a monster, but one of the guys with his head basically tilted on its side, um, which means that whatever parasite is almost in its next phase. So a lot of times you got to be careful of those because they'll burst out the neck once you put some bullets in it and then you need to put like a bit more in there, you know? So um, they don't seem to do that, though, in this demo playthrough. They don't make it that difficult just yet in this beginning. So, yeah, because that doesn't start happening until later in the game, from what I remember. It's, yeah, it's a little later in the game when when that really starts cranking. So, um, but there is that kind of like thing where all of a sudden there's like a like a like a horror build to it, you know, where you turn around. It, it definitely sudden, takes notes from Village. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah, because Village was a lot of the same thing, right? You you pick yourself up from the freaking car crash. You got to walk down this path and then you end up stumbling down a freaking hill into a house where the freaking werewolves attack you and everything. And you kind of get introduced to what this village is all about. And they kind of take the same approach here, right? Like you're going to look for the cop, like you said, and then like you find one of the cop bodies, but it's not the dude you're looking for. Um, at least I don't think, no, it wasn't the, the one he was looking for. I don't think. But um, the guy in the house, like you see somebody in the house walking around. They look like they're kind of crazy, but relatively normal, I guess. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. suddenly they start fucking attacking you, right? Yeah. Like you, you and you realize something's like not right. <clears throat> yeah, and I also like I don't remember if you can do that in the original, but I did like that once you finally get into the main area of the village. Did they give you the opportunity to sneak around, or didn't? Did they just come at you? I don't remember. Do you- no, I. Th- they come at you, from what I remember, because uh, if I'm remembering the sequence right, you uh, you go into the village and they kind of start coming at you, and then you have to run into the house. Yeah. Yeah, you have to run into the house, and there's that scene where Leon, like, he, well, it's in this game too, where he jumps out the window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and shit um 
man, it's been so long since I played the original. Yeah, so, but that scene where he jumps out the window, though, it's in a different spot. It's 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 in a, it's in one of the new areas where you're walking through the house and he jumps out. Because then once yeah. you walk up to the area, you got a binocular spot in this new one where you can look and see that they set the guy on fire. And then yeah, like, yeah, that's right. And so then you're like, oh, and then now you're left with, well, how do I want to approach this situation? In a sense, I could just run in and get everybody all riled up. I could sneak around and take people out with a knife, which I don't remember. I don't think there were stealth kills in the original four. No, from what I remember, there was no stealth mechanics. There was no stealth mechanics in the game. So in this one, you can actually sneak around and take out people with the knife. Now, each time you do it, it takes, you know, damage on the knife to the point where then the knife will break at some point. Uh, which is it's interesting. Now there's a stealth mechanic to it, which is cool. Uh, on yeah. top of that, enemies with weapons, particularly, you can parry them. And if you time your parry right, it'll open up for a spin kick. I'm pretty sure that's the mechanic. It's debatable. Yeah. I know there was a talk between me and you back and forth on stream because it wasn't sure if maybe you just needed some people you need to parry to it, you know, once or tw- like twice maybe. And then you'll get it. But I actually think it's more about the exact timing. If you hit it within this more narrow window, because there's a generous window for parry where you can hit it and you'll parry and you'll at least push them off. But if you get the timing good right before it hits, you will be able to hit the X button after and spin kick. Spin kick them. Yeah. On st- yeah, the best I could see, it's either, like you said, like I'm always undecided about it. It's either a posture mechanic where you have to hit an enemy uh, more than once with a parry in order to break their posture. Uh, or, like you said, it's it's freaking timing based. I'm pretty it does confident seem kinda, it's timing based. Like, I'm yeah. 99, I'm 95% sure. I'll put it that way. It's timing based. I feel fairly confident about that. Because I've noticed that, like, I even feel like it has a different vibration in the PlayStation controller when I hit that at the right timing. So yeah. I, I feel pretty confident that it's based on the timing. I'm uh, sure speedrunners will give us the answer freaking probably uh, sooner yeah. rather than later. Uh, sooner, uh, yeah. There, I mean, especially with what they added in there secretly. So it is basically the first part. And if you play it, um, you can hell my first run through. I think I did it in like twelve minutes. It's almost like oh, that's a fairly short demo. Yeah. But if you keep replaying that motherfucker, you'll get an option to do the chainsaw. What is it called? The mad chainsaw mode. Mad chainsaw mode, which is like a high difficulty spike. And originally, all you got to do is survive for. I, I actually think. That all you got to do is kill, um, I don't know, maybe if you kill a chainsaw guy, it sets it off in the original standard mode. I don't remember killing a chainsaw guy in my first run through. I just thought I killed a bunch of enemies and then it rang the bell. So I don't I don't know what exactly rings the bell because you don't have to kill the chainsaw guy for the bell to ring in standard play. Um, yeah. Yeah, you just have to survive. Yeah, survive long enough. Hell, I even... Didn't the first two times I played through on standard, I didn't even go into the shotgun, the, the, the house with the shotgun and stuff. I didn't, I just fucking, cause it's, it's, it is a lot easier on standard. I mean, one shot yeah. in the head and you can spin kick these guys. No problems. Um, chainsaw mode, that first, the first area 
where you run into one of the first uh, people that are infected and come at you with their head hanging off their neck, basically. Um, when the first and standard mode, you run into one of those guys. On the chainsaw mode, three of them come down the steps. So okay. it's like, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like shit, you know. Now there's a way to right. navigate around them where you don't, you don't even have to hit them, and you can just run right by them. But you just gotta, you know, wait for them to roll out. Two of them will come out, and you can run around those two. And the third one, a lot of times, just gets stuck on the steps, so you can run right by them before they do anything. So you can get past them, but yeah, there's three of them that come down the steps compared to one. Yeah, so that's the first like off the bat jump. Next, shooting them in the head. It's not one shot in the head, then a spin kick. You got to shoot them maybe two or three times in the head, and then you can get that. Okay, now I can come in and spin kick them or something. And a lot of times on standard, one shot in the head, spin kick, and they're dead. Not on yeah, the chainsaw usually. mode. Chainsaw mode, you got to do it. We got to put more bullets in it than that. <laughs> so they increase the difficulty. And in chainsaw mode, you actually got to kill the chainsaw wielding guy. And that oh, motherfucker yeah. has a health bar. I haven't done it yet. Kev has run through and did it. I've tried it a yeah. few times. I plan to do it maybe, I don't know, tomorrow sometime. I'll, I'm going to spend some, cut some time out. Because the only aggravating thing about it is when you want to do it again, it's random whenever you get offered the ability to do the chainsaw mode. Yeah, because every time you hit new game, there's a chance that it will offer you yes. the chainsaw mode. So theoretically, I guess the first time you hit new game, it could offer you the chainsaw mode. Cause I don't know yeah. if there, uh, as far as I've seen, there's no, but you do, you do, it's an offer. So you can decline it. Yeah. So if you're like, I want to play a demo, I don't want to play it on these hard difficulties. And if they randomly, yeah, here you go. Do you want to do chainsaw? They'll ask you and you can just say, nah, I just want to do standard. And it's fine. But on the chainsaw difficulty, yeah, it's rougher. The enemies take more hits. They grab you and stuff. They do more damage. And one hit from chainsaw guy, you're dead. Basically. Yeah, the, the newest thing, you know what the thing, the newest attack, I think is the, uh, the probably the biggest game changer. It's the fucking shove. It's the push. They fucking push you. And I don't yeah. know how many times um, the that fucking push has fucked me over. Because, like, they'll push me into somebody else who'll grab me and they don't get hit. And, like, the fact that, especially if you start getting surrounded, right? Because, like, they'll shove you around and shit. Yeah, like, yeah that's fucking, true. And the cha- if the chainsaw guy catches you, it's fucking, like, it's an instant kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, if the, one of them happens to shove you into the chainsaw guy, like, he just kills you. Yeah. And that dude is a bitch to kill. I did manage to do it. Like I told you, it took like all of my grenades. And then there was three grenades that you can find in the, in the game mm-hmm. and like all of my shotgun ammo. And I had the run around. What I did was I got him in a good loop. Um, there's a house that you can run up the stairs and you can climb out the window and kind of get on the roofs of the other houses. Mm-hmm. And so I would get up on the, I would get him to chase me and I would climb out the window and I would look at the window, uh, and the guy, while the guy is trying to climb out the window, I'd either hit him, throw the grenade in the window and freaking hit him with the grenade or, you know, freaking shoot him with the shotgun. And then, like, once he gets out, I would jump down and I'd loop back around in the house, back out the window again and wait for him. And that's kind of the loop that I got him stuck in to do it. Mm. <laughs> and it took a lot. Like I said, it took all the shotgun ammo that I had. I forget how much I had, but it took all three fucking grenades, which 
That should tell you right there how much fucking health this dude has. He threw tanked three grenades and just didn't die. Yeah, no, he does. Tanks the grenades, tanks your shotguns, and still needs some more pistol shots before it's done. Yeah. <coughs> um. So, yeah, it's just interesting. It's a fun way to do a demo. You have a secret difficulty that can really add, you know, more playthrough of the demo because it is a fairly short demo or it can be like you could literally get through it in 10 to 12 minutes if you just run through i mean you could probably do it shorter than that i'm assuming if you really do some like speed run type shit but um either way it's it, it is fairly short but um it's fun like it's really good i'm very excited for the game like that every this demo has really like yes this is gonna be fucking great so yes. um yeah, I think a lot of people who didn't like the original floor are probably going to really like end up liking this one. As well as the people who actually liked four, which there are a lot because there are so many people that have named that one as one of the best fucking games of all time. Which and this are, might become that. Like they, they, this might be. Man, I don't know about best game of all time, but this might be best Resident Evil game. Um, yeah, this has Maybe, potential to yeah. be. Uh, I would say, I would say this has this remake definitely has the potential to be the best remake of all time, uh, or at least best remake of Resident Evil. Because right now, the one who holds the crown for that is RE2 remake, right? Uh, for best remake, yeah, or best, best remake, Evil best remake? best remake of Resident Evil. I'm just talking specifically Resident Evil, not games. Okay, yeah, the Resident yeah, Evil yeah I would say RE2. I would say RE2. RE2 yeah. yeah, it's the best. In fact, I mean, some would maybe argue it's probably the best remake. Maybe before Dead Space. Dead Space. Yeah, remake. I was about to say, I think Dead Space holds the crown as like the best, like, elite, uh, definitely the best horror remake. Yeah, but I think, I feel like a remake, RE2 remake, really set the tone of what you could do with a remake. And I think since then, we've started seeing some better attempts at remakes. So, yeah. um, I'm hoping, I actually, I'm hoping to see more. I, I, this is not a bad thing. Seeing Metal Gear Solid done like this would probably be pretty dope. Um, Resident Evil 4, I still don't know if we necessarily needed this, but I'm excited for it nonetheless. Like, they're, they really did things to change things up, and that's great. I um, mean, this is probably going to be the last one. I don't see them remaking 5 or 6. Like, they're, def- like they're definitely not remaking 6. Because 6 just came out on the if they, PS4. Well, I would say this. They might, but I think it's going to be a completely different game. Like, I actually uh, feel like if they, cause if they're going to, if these remakes feel like they're also telling a slightly similar, but different story than the originals. And it's becoming kind of the new canon of resident evil as we go. And I'm yeah. wondering if they build this into seven at some point. So remaking five may not be off the table. Like I, I, I think they, they might actually do it. Um, and then that becomes a question of six. And I almost feel like with six, six is such an interesting, because it's such a big game for like. <sighs> it's it's a freaking, it's a huge game with a bunch of ideas thrown out. They just pretty much put everything that they, they could think of in the game. And not really necessarily in all good ways either. Yeah, no, I would agree. So. I, I could see a remake of six, but I feel like it, that one might not be as faithful to what six is compared to like four and two and all that. 
So um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. I I I don't know where I stand on like if I would if I had to bet. I don't know. I kind of feel like I think we might get a remake of five. I, I feel like Maybe. we'll get a remake of five. I, I I don't think that's too far out the question. Um, what would be interesting though is do they keep all the story beats in place? Is Wesker going to be as kind of cheesy, like trench coaty sunglasses? Are they beholden to doing that because that's what fans like for the memes? Or will they kind I mean, of... They could, they could uh, go that route and do that and just like embrace the memes. But at the same time, they could also just put references in it. Like the whole Chris punching boulders thing. Like they already put a reference in it in, uh, in a freaking... Uh, who is it? Somebody... I forget. I think it's Ethan causing him a boulder punching bastard. Yeah, yeah. No, not Ethan. It's... um. <laughs> It's um the guy who controls metal in eight. I think oh uh Heisenberg. Yeah, Heisenberg. Yeah. Heisenberg. Heisenberg calls him a boulder punching bastard. So yeah. like if they re- <laughs> if they remade five, they at least have to have a nod to the fact that Chris tried to punch a boulder. Yeah. And fucking- <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fair. That's a that's a true point. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they don't. I, I can see your point. Maybe four is where they stop with the remakes. Uh, that, that's. It's a valid point. Um, it, it's definitely a possibility as far as where they start with the remakes. But they're so I think they've been so successful for Capcom. They're at least going to think about it. But you know what they might do before that is they might do Code Veronica. Yeah, I could see them branching out to like Code Veronica or even maybe uh, RE0. Which I'm surprised. Oh, yeah, that, that actually could use a remake too. That would be interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, but I think we're far away from the RE zero, or because uh, like I feel like the next thing we're gonna get is like an R Resident Evil nine. That's got to be next. Yeah. Thing on oh the yeah, cars. definitely. That's definitely gonna be the next game. I think. Yeah, and then it's gonna be the question of where do they go with another remake or not, and do they do zero? Do they do Veronica? If I was them, I would go Code Veronica. Because RE2 Remake was so good, expanding on the story of Claire, and then also tying in with Chris, part of these story beats. And it also ties in Wesker and stuff, too. You can easily do a remake of that and spin it into a remake of 5. That that seems to be... it It seems like the way to go. Or they can actually, you know what I wouldn't, you know what I wouldn't be mad about, <sighs> even though they already did a remake of it as a remake of one, because like a full from the ground up remake. Yes, because because uh, the remake we got is just like an HD version of the. Yeah, uh, I think it was the GameCube remake. It was. Yeah, mm-hmm. they remade yeah. one, and it's still tank controls, very similar to the original, but it's it is kind of like. It's not just high high resed up. Like they did remake it, but it it's still got the tank controls. It's it's still it's not up to par with what everything else is now. So well, that, that's what I was saying. Like yeah. they there's an HD version of the GameCube one. Is what I was meaning. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, doing a full remake of the original one. I, actually, I think that should that that should be the move. That that yeah. that would be the move. 
You know, like I, I would like to see that. In fact, I, I, I think- can see why they didn't do it first is because right around the time they released RE2 remake, were uh they had just re released the uh, HD remaster of the uh the GameCube version. Yeah, so they it was kind of close. Yeah, they brought it back over to like the like you can play that now on PS5. It's a uh, part of the PlayStation 4 like it was on the PSN network. They brought it over. Yeah. So yeah, um but I I think a remake of 1 would be really um really cool. But I I agree. They already remade 1. So I could see why they decided 2, especially since 2 is so beloved. Like a lot of people love RE2. Like it's a hard, uh, I think some people, you know, some people argue they love the first one, of course, because it's the first, you know, but then there are a lot who hold RE2 as the best Resident Evil game ever made, you know? Uh, well, yeah, best Resident Evil game ever made. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, talking on the originals, not really trying to take into consideration these remakes and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's interesting. Um, but you know, four remakes looking really good. It'll be out in about two weeks, roughly about that, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Uh, not this coming Friday, but next Friday, I want to say something like that. Yeah. I can't believe I can't remember the freaking release date of this. Yeah. Uh, it is. I think it's the 21st, if I'm not mistaken. I just don't remember what day it is. Yeah, March 24th. Oh, the 24th. 24th. I said 21st. 24th. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll probably be just getting back from uh, Mississippi that day. So yep. I don't, I don't know uh, if I'll be able to play it the day it of, but it'll be the next day for sure. So, but uh, yeah, no, really cool stuff, man. Um, oh, you know, know what I freaking. I went to look up the collector's edition for the for RE because I wanted to order it, see if they had a Steam version. It's fucking PlayStation exclusive. Wait, what is? The the collector's edition. I oh, went on really? A, yes, it's PlayStation exclusive. Well, because I, I went on a that'll get us I into went, our next topic. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, that brings us into our next topic. Sony and their fucking bullshit when they do shit like this. And then they want to cry about fucking Xbox. Like, get the fuck out of here, man. Yeah, I just pulled an article up. Um, PlayStation uh, Games Radar. PlayStation boss reportedly told Activision execs, quote, I don't want a new Call of Duty deal. I just want to block the merger. Um, they say it was published three days ago by Ali Jones. Jim Ryan seems prepared to prevent the Xbox deal at any cost. Um an Activision exec claims that Sony chief Jim Ryan said he had no interest in an improved deal over Call of Duty and was simply focused on blocking Xbox Activision deal. Uh, in a tweet yesterday, Activision chief communication officer Lulu Chang Mercevi, who has previously been posting through it in an attempt to help pass the merger, posed a rhetorical question. We blank offered Sony guaranteed long-term access to Call of Duty, but they keep refusing. Why? So, um, yeah, it's all that. And then apparently there's been stories coming out. Well, something you was talking about to me before we started recording was, um, how PlayStation's squawking around about concerns of having a lesser version of call of duty 
because you know that's what Sony did to Xbox with some of their games and gave Xbox the lesser version compared to the PlayStation version. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like they don't want you know they did it to others they don't want it to happen to them but yeah they're they're fucking such short losers now that they actually have a chance of getting real competition in the freaking marketplace because you know uh, call of duty i will say this though Uh, i will say this though you got to give credit to sony where you give credit to sony and they built their competitive edge like a lot of the things that make sony exclusive games great are because they're actually sony games that they've yeah built companies uh, like a lot of the games that Xbox has put out or a lot of these studios that they're, they're buying their exclusives from companies that built them up. And then Xbox comes along and buys them. Now, Sony has yeah. done some similar things too, but for the most part, their top tier stuff is that, I mean, Xbox bought rare and did nothing with it to grant it. They didn't buy the rare that made Goldeneye. They bought a rare where the people who made things like Goldeneye stuff jump ship. So <laughs> they didn't buy that rare, but they have all those IPs and didn't try to get any other talent or the talent that was in the studio already to try and work on, I don't know, another, a better perfect dark than the one we got in the 360 drop. Um, yep. Another Conker's Bad Fur Day, something with him. Like I mean, we did get a we did get the new Conquerors. I don't know if you remember the sequel to to Conquer that they that they put out. It was a uh, it had a fucking it had multi it was a multiplayer shooter. Actually. Oh really? Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, let me see if I can look it up. Just like we got a third uh, Conquerors Live and Reloaded. Yep, that's it. As soon as I put it in. No, oh, I um, thought that was just a remake of the of like they just re-resed it and pushed out. Yeah, the old that was game. the remake. Yeah, okay, yeah, I remember that. That came out with like a rare replay where they had all these old rare games. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and same thing with Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. They tried to make a new Banjo Kazooie. They did. Well, actually, it's arguable. I mean, like that one, I've seen different different things where people have said it's a good game, and people have it's like a slept on good game that just didn't catch. And some people just didn't like it because it was a little different than what they've come to know of Banjo-Kazooie from the first two. So I haven't really given it time to play, so it's hard for me to say. But, you know, to give credit and also, like, if I was Sony and, like, I can stop this merger from happening, why? Why why would I not do that? I'm just going to be nice to my competition? Like, you think Xbox is going to be nice to Sony when other things happen too? They're competing against each other, you know? So, I mean, it it is kind of shitty. And like the and in its optics, and I guess you could say the um, I don't know whatever morality you want to put behind it or whatnot. Like you know, and the hypocrisy of it is pretty funny. The the way Sony's going about this, but I mean, fuck, if it's working, then like, why would you not? Why why would you you know stop it? Just you don't right. look like an you know an asshole. Doesn't matter if you block this merger, then you're the asshole. But you know. Xbox doesn't yeah, have you, a competitive edge anymore, you know? Like Right, yeah, right. like I get the business side of it. Like I get it. It makes yeah. business, it makes complete business sense what they're doing. But I just personally, I'm more invested in freaking Xbox doing this so that way we can have, I feel like they're going to make the, the market space more competitive. Or at least they're going to be more open to. I will um, say this though. I will say this though. The one thing that they could be shooting themselves in the foot with, if it doesn't work, and Xbox gets the merger. No deal for Sony. Yeah, you you will lose Call of Duty now. 
And so now you will have to deal with whatever outcome that is, whether it kills the brand of Call of Duty or it kills the brand of Sony. (laughs) One or the other. But Sony's digging their own grave potentially. Uh, I would say, because if if this is the case, that Call of Duty is so instrumental to PlayStation's life, you know what I mean? And they're not wanting to come to the table with terms or agreements and all this kind of shit. And all of a sudden, whatever happens in the courts or whatever happens, and they're like, you know what, Xbox, it's cool. You can have this deal. I don't know. I wonder what Phil Spencer and them decide to do with Sony if they're just like, oh, look, can we still have that deal? Because <laughs> I would be like, eh, no. <laughs> no I don't want us to give you a deal you know what we'll give you a deal for the next two years figure it out yeah pretty much yeah like to help wean people off of Call of Duty two years buy buy them on Playstation but hey you might want to go ahead and buy that Xbox if you want Call of Duties after the next these two years are up it just, well, they could just sell. They could just charge them a fucking whole lot more for the license. They, yeah. they put it on. They put it on. Oh, uh, that would be great. Are you do you want the basic version of Call of Duty on PlayStation? That's ninety nine ninety nine. Do you want it on Xbox? It's free on Game Pass. <laughs> exactly. Sony customers are gonna pay for the game pot the game pass minuses that <laughs> Microsoft will take giving everybody Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's uh, funny. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, but, I, wa- I want the only thing I really want from this deal is I want Sony to stop being so fucking bullish in the market with their all their exclusive shit. Like I get why they do it, but so many people have been pushing for it, right? We don't want to. We the console wars are dead. They're fucking relics of the past. Like we want to just be able to play our games where we want to play our games. And Sony is still pushing their exclusivity because they're they're top dog. Let's. Uh, I mean, like Nintendo's competing with them in sales just because the Switch is fucking you know so appealing to such a wide demographic. But as far as like actual like core appealing to like core gamers and shit, like they're still top talk and they got the weight to throw around because their brand has that kind of weight. And like, I don't know. I just want them to get with the times. That's what I really want from this fucking merger. I want them to, I wanted to wake them up and make them realize that people want cross platform. People want cross play. People don't like all this exclusivity shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, as more and more we we embracing this multiplayer stuff, it's not people are railing against the idea of being locked into a you know console or PC or whatever. So, yeah. But with all this on console wars and stuff like that, I um one of the books I read a while back, and I grabbed some stories, and I'm actually gonna do. I think I'm gonna do more episodes like this, or maybe I'll grab some stories from the PlayStation Xbox one from the other book I've been reading. I'll, I'll do that too. Um, but I grabbed some stuff from Nintendo and Sega, uh, that I just thought it'd be fun to kind of go over a bit and then we'll end the episode on this, but this is kind of what I thought I'd do the episode on, um, since we weren't able to do the movies and comics like planned, hopefully we'll be back with one next week. So in the meantime, story time, uh, Kev, please butt in where you want to. Um, okay. 
So I want to speak on Tom Kalansky first. Uh, this book is Console Wars, is where I pull a lot of stories from. So I want to shout out to them. I think this guy Blake, uh, I don't remember his last name, but I, I'm, I'm going to try to make sure I, I pull his name up and, and say it on here before and just to give the credit to the author who pulled pull all this stuff together. Uh, <clears throat> it's a really good book. Strongly suggest you read it if you're interested in gaming history and things like that. There's a lot of great stories. I'm just picking a few out. Um, there's some, some are more towards the beginning, but there's th- some I thought were interesting. So, um, uh, you know, anyway. Uh, um, so Tom Kalansky, uh, a bit about him. He was the guy who really headed up the Sega of America division. And, um, he actually came from Mattel. Yeah. The book opens up about how, um, he revived the Barbie line with the novel idea of segmenting the market. So instead of simply selling one doll per season, Mattel would offer a multitude of Barbies for differing interests at diverse price points and targeted at girls of different ages along the spectrum. There'd be a twist and turn Barbie, ballerina Barbie, Hawaiian Barbie, and even President Barbie. In addition, Mattel vigorously expanded the line for her family and friends with like Ken and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and a version of Barbie's younger sister whose breasts would get larger and waist would shrink with the rotation of her left arm. So <laughs> thank you, Kalinsky. I fucking love that. Thank you, Kalinsky. Great. Um, see, and he also ended up doing that for the, uh, for the boys. He developed, uh, a sword wielding, um, uh, conqueror kind of guy, brown haired conqueror guy, uh, very muscular, testosterone infused and it became a he-man he made he-man and that ended up becoming such a popular toy it became a tv show he-man and the masters of the universe with with, uh, comics and everything behind it so that's the guy that uh sega japan um came to america and pulled him because they wanted to get into the american market and um they're pretty interesting it's a pretty interesting guy as you read more in the book and stuff like that this guy that built basically built Sega up, um, <clears throat> you know, was came from the toys and he knew they needed like a character. One of the things the book highlights that I think is fascinating is the idea of like building a character and stuff like that. Something that um, people, you know, they'll want to like identify with and stuff like that like it's not just some empty shell of a thing so it's it's fascinating um i'm wondering here if they erase some of my bookmarks which will make me very upset because i had a lot of bookmarks and now they don't seem to be around so that did not realize that's how this book worked so uh let's see give me a second i am looking over my notes um oh so here is, so he gets on with Sega. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. <laughs> okay, so this is a bit about um, when they first came up with um, Sonic. So when Kalinske came on, they were trying to find a mascot to go against Mario. Right. And um, so... A Schroeder is one of the guys who worked with Kalinsky and and um I and I'm pulling the segments of the book here. Uh, and they said Schroeder I Kalinsky as if trying to somehow conduct the telepathic polygraph test. And he says, quote, 
how much do you know how much do you trust nakayama's insurances now nakayama is um the the head of sega over there at the time like who basically pulled kalinsky and had him run the sega of america division and um they asked him about if he ever seen the hedgehog and he said what hedgehog and it says that freak from the mascot contest uh, Kalinske had no idea what she was talking about, so Schroeder filled the man. Prior to Kalinske's arrival, Sega had held an internal mascot contest, encouraging employees to come up with a new face for the company, which would supplant the current face of the company, Alex Kidd, a disappointing ripoff of Mario. So the mascot before Sonic was Alex Kidd. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, uh, you don't remember uh, Alex Kidd I for the Master System? Don't remember Alex Kidd. No. Yeah. Oh, I ba- I barely remember it because I had like a Master System. Uh, I actually didn't have one in the '80s when it came out because, of course, I wouldn't have been born in the fucking early '80s yet. Yeah. Uh, but I had, as a kid, I had my um, Master System that I'd gotten actually kind of later. My dad had found one at a, a flea market. Uh, this was after Super Nintendo had came out, so it was quite a bit later. But my dad knew I liked games and stuff, and he found the system at like a flea market, and he didn't really know what it was. He just knew it was a game system, and it had games with it. So he bought it for me, and it was a Sega Master System. So I would play it, you know, if I didn't have like any new games or anything to play for my Super Nintendo, or, you know, I was tired of playing what I had for my Super Nintendo, I would play that, or I'd play my NES. So, yeah, I kind of had a, I had a Master System when I was a kid, too. Mm. Uh, and Alex Kidd was... One of the games, like one of the decent games, more decent games on it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, apparently that was the mascot going forward, and it was just this ripoff of Mario. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the Japanese programmer submitted a host of diverse entries, including an armadillo, later developed into Mighty the Armadillo, a dog, a cat, a cheetah, a Theodore Roosevelt lookalike in pajamas, and a peppy rabbit that could use its extendable ears to collect objects. <laughs> the two choices, was- however, were an anime-inspired egg and a teal hedgehog with red shoes created by Naoto Oshima. That they, uh-huh. And they called him Mr. Needlemouse. <laughs> that was... That Mr. Was, Needlemouse. That was Sonic's original name was Mr. Needlemouse. <laughs> That's amazing. So Nakayama had presented these two finalists to cats uh, who quickly declared that they both sucked. He thought the egg was absurd and the hedgehog just didn't make any sense. So, um, of course, as we well know, they did end up going with the hedgehog. Um, As I've told you that apparently my... Let's see if this is it. No. Um, they kill. Okay. I think it's the next one. Let's see here. Because they messed up my uh, bookmarks. So I'm sorry, listeners. They messed them up. Uh, let's see. Okay. So I wanted to jump to here. So they got the hedgehog. So that's all he knew. They had a hedgehog, and those were the runners up. So <clears throat> actually, you know what? Let's. Ah, uh, you bitch. Let's see. Um, Okay, let me go back. So let's do this story right. I'm sorry, listeners. My book smarts got messed up, but I think I got it now. All right. So he finds out that they're going with a hedgehog. And he's like, okay. You know, like, 
whatever. They, they have this hedgehog thing. So in the meantime, while that's still being worked out with marketing and whatnot, he decides he's going to try and get into Walmart. So getting the Genesis into Walmart, the Kalinsky I'm talking about, of course, because the Genesis at this point is new and it wasn't in the Walmart stores yet. And of course, as you know, especially nowadays, Walmart's basically number one retailer. I mean, well, nowadays you got Amazon and all that shit. But back in the day, it was all about Walmart. Getting your thing in Walmart was huge. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. There's like, I mean, like Kmart and stuff were around too, but they were always considered like the budget like thing. Like they were, yeah. they were always kind of like the off brand, I guess. They didn't really compete. They tried, but they couldn't really compete too much with Walmart. Yep. Uh, so they wanted to try to run into Walmart, and time was a luxury they didn't have. They had to get it in there. But here's the problem. Getting the Genesis into Walmart wasn't easy, sending them a free system and letting them see how much better it was than Nintendo. Because unfortunately, Walmart sold Nintendo products, and they didn't just sell. They flew off the shelves. Nintendo single-handedly accounted for 10% of Walmart's profits. Damn. 10%. 10%. Of Walmart's yeah. profits were Nintendo. That's right. just something to this really is, step back and really frame that. Yeah, this lot. is before they started introducing grocery stores into their markets. Right? That's. I uh, think it's yes. It's before they. It's in the middle of it. Probably. I think it was in the mid nineties that Walmart. Yeah, because I don't think they started, started coming up. They didn't start coming out with the Super Walmarts until. I think probably around late nineties because it was after yeah. it was after uh, Sam Walton kind yeah. of passed on and his kids took it over. They started making the Super Walmart. So. Yeah, yeah. So okay. Um. So he he decided to try and get into Walmart. So um, they they had initially made a a try at it, and they were like um. Well, his uh, with Clancy's team originally made a shot at Walmart, and Katz had made a trip down to Walmart headquarters to pitch uh, them on Sega, and it said that things went okay. Clancy nodded, but in his mind, he already knew okay was worse than bad. At least bad was memorable. Okay means you just like a forgotten thing, right? Yeah. So he decides that he's gonna go and try and uh, get some ideas together to run at Walmart. Um, and they say Walmart headquarters felt like a military compound during peacetime. It was huge, impressively segmented and delivered the impressions that things were not nearly as calm as they seem. Kalansky entered the complex and was escorted into the office of Walmart's electronics merchant, a man whose every move called to mind the word veteran. The men shook hands and they had some talk and stuff before they got into video games. And, um, uh, he says, Kalansky asks him, how much do you know about video games? And the electronics, uh, I guess you could say the uh, electronics merchant, the buyer for Walmart says, pretty much just whatever Nintendo tells me. <laughs> 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 so Kalansky says, well, then allow me to introduce you to the future, you know, and presented his Sega gadgets along with the product analysis reports and market data that his ragtag team had worked so hard to prepare. He leaned forward, dropped his business persona, and spoke just between us tone. I understand that Walmart feels an obligation to keep Nintendo happy. I get it, but this isn't a Tengen situation. So Tengen, they go into a uh, a story here on Tengen. Are you familiar with Tengen? 
Yes, I'm familiar with Tangent and their freaking their illegal bootleg uh, cartridges and shit. Yes, uh, they. So I'll tell you a little story with them. So uh, with Tangent, right quick. So Kalinsky was referring to Tangent. They were a video game publisher and developer created by Atari Games. So they owned the yes. rights to most of the Atari's popular games from the early 1980s, and wanted to license some of the company's more popular titles for the NES. So. Um, they approached Nintendo to work it out, but Nintendo uh, had the standard licensing agreement that dictated the same terms for all of its licensees. So basically, Nintendo just wanted a lot of money. If you want to put a game on our system, um, you'd have to give Nintendo, not only would you have to buy the cartridges and stuff, you would also have to give them 30% of your revenue as royalty. So you had to buy the cartridges, give them 30% of their revenue, uh, and the cartridges weren't cheap. I think it was like 10 bucks a pop for the cartridges, it says here. And you got to remember, this is like 90s, you know, early 90s. So that's it's just why these games were so expensive at the time because of this. You know what I mean? Right. So um, <clears throat> he thought it was absurd, but um, he tried to meet with Nintendo to meet with Arakawa and Lincoln to discuss this, but they were like, nope. You're you going to pay it. <laughs> so they started doing business with him and it was good, but he just was like, fuck paying you all this money for the game. So uh, this is what they did that, you, that talks about what you said, the illegal stuff. Uh, they, they couldn't find out how to break Nintendo's locking. They have a code, like a locking, a lockout chip that keeps yeah, people from uh, being able to just make cartridges that play on NES. Like, yeah, that's why you had to get cartridges from the, you. You had to buy cartridges from Nintendo and then pay them 30 percent of your revenue on top of that. And you yeah. only could buy it from Nintendo because they had a lockout chip in the NES that prevented just any cartridge from going in there. So what they did was instead of just like trying to get into Nintendo and steal that, um, they decided to go to the U.S. Copyright Office. Yeah, uh, and they get the patents. Yep, they, they approached the U.S. Copyright Office and claimed they were filing a copyright infringement suit against Nintendo. Despite this being yep. entirely fictional, they went the whole nine yards to make it appear true and even signed an affidavit legally testifying about the accuracy and urgency of this lawsuit. The Copyright Offices hand over the code and Tengen worked backward to create a program called The Rabbit, which would unlock the NES. Now, not yes. only did Tenjin possess the ability to produce as many games they saw fit, but by learning about Nintendo's di distribution techniques, they were uh, equipped to contact the retailers directly. So then they started selling their games to retailers directly to, hey, you can play this on the NES. These are Nintendo games. And, uh, you know, they were all making more money because they're cutting Nintendo out. So yeah. <laughs> it was a brilliant plan in theory, the book goes, but... In practice, a problem came when Nintendo gave the retailers the ultimatum, us or yeah. them. Though Nintendo couldn't legally threaten to stop supplying retailers, they had enough strength to use the power of what if? What if our trucks got lost going to your stores? What if we stopped filling your orders in full? To make this an easy decision, the retailers bit the bullet, got rid of all attention products. <laughs> Bro, when you're 10% of Walmart's revenue, like, come on. If Nintendo's right. like, yo, there, there's a truck of Nintendo cartridges coming around, they, 
them, them motherfuckers might just be gone one day, you know? <laughs> I'm surprised the, right. I'm surprised the book doesn't make any mention of Tetris and the whole thing around Tengen and Tetris. No, and that comes Nintendo. later. That comes later. There is a whole section about Tetris. And a lot of the books I've read about this history, some of them go into more depth than what the Console War book does because it's more of an overview of the whole thing. Yeah. I've read another book because this book covers the lawsuit that we're going to talk about, about uh, Donkey Kong. Uh, I oh, yeah, yeah. The whole, the whole universal mm-hmm. uh, Donkey Kong lawsuit, them saying yeah. that it was uh, they cop- they freaking copied King Kong. And yep. shit. Yep. Yeah. We'll get into that in a bit, in just a minute. Yeah. So, but uh, now it's Kalinsk. So that was the whole Tengen deal. And Tengen basically just disappeared after a while because it's like they couldn't, nobody would take their products because they were scared of losing shipments from Nintendo. So Kalinsky sat before Walmart's electronics merchant. He tried to make it perfectly clear that this was uh, an entirely different situation. Sega hadn't done anything illegal, nor had they screwed Nintendo over. They're just a competitor. So, uh, to be perfectly honest, Kalinsky said, I think carrying our products will boost Nintendo sales. The money we spend on print and television is only going to help the industry overall. And you and I both know exactly who the industry is. So, the merchant looked through some of Sega's materials again and smiled. Kalinsky scooted up to the edge of his seat. He didn't need a big order, just an order, a single order. That would be enough to motivate his employees, give Sega the credibility it sorely needed, and confirm to Kalinsky that maybe he wasn't in completely over his head. Please, just a single order, especially with the Super Famicom coming. Um, a little while ago, I was interested in stocking an electronic handheld game, the electronic merchant explained. A stupid little football game. Not even close to anything on the Game Boy. For 15 bucks, maybe mom and dad buy it for Sonny if he makes all A's or hits the game-winning shot. But then a pal of mine, someone in the same line of work, he passes along a rumor to me. There was a small store struggling to keep up with the big boys, and they decided they were going to lower the price of the NES by five cents, just so they had some small advantage. Well, they advertised this in the Sunday newspaper, their five-cent advantage, and another small store sees this and calls Nintendo to let them know. Fucking snitch. Um, A week goes by... And Nintendo sends out the trucks to deliver the product. And lo and behold, there's nothing left for the store with the five cent discount. And by sheer coincidence, the guy who passed the tip gets a bigger allocation than normal. The merchant tapped his finger on the desk. But like I said, this was just a rumor I heard. It's probably not true. After all, that would be illegal. Clancy shook his head. Not just illegal. It'd be un-American. The merchant gave a gummy smile. Perhaps one day we'll return to a place where the streets are paved with gold and all you need to succeed is good idea, strong work ethic, uh, strong work ethic, and some kind of bootstraps. Or perhaps we'll continue to move in the opposite direction. The merchant pondered this for a second and then stood. Personally, I like the place with the golden streets, and believe it or not, I like you, Mr. Kalinsky, but my answer is no. So he says, I understand, Kalinsky said, and he goes to leave, and he said, I appreciate your ode to better, simpler times. But you know what the sad thing is? The man in your story, the one who tipped off Nintendo, I don't really blame that guy. He was just trying to find an angle. If you ask me, the people really killing the country are the ones who realize the American dream is being crushed, but don't bother to do anything about it. Clancy thanked the merchant for his time and flew back with a chip on his shoulder and nothing to show for it because Walmart said no. (laughs) 
yeah. The, uh, does that book get into the uh, the blockbuster deal? I think it does. It does later. Uh, <clears throat> again, I just took some stories about some of the beginning stuff. I, 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 if if people write in or message, I think I'll do more episodes like even if you don't, I still might. Um, I'll do more episodes, grab some more stories from the book that I think are fun. Uh, cause there is a whole thing with blockbuster and stuff for sure. Um, yeah, I, I know. What yeah, you're Cause that's about. how, from what I remember, that's how Sega actually broke into the market. It was with the blockbuster deal. Uh, they started renting the consoles with the games and like, that's how they kind of broke well, into how, the market. How they did it is not exactly with blockbuster. According to the stuff I've read, that's not necessarily true. In fact, Sega kind of had issues with blockbuster, just like, um, okay. Nintendo did because they were kind of cutting into their profits, being able to rent. Yeah. Um, well, how Sega did it was kind of a five-fold approach, and some of that was getting help from EA, which I have a story on EA as well with Sega. Um, I'm going to get into this, the Sonic birth of an icon. So while Kalansky, uh, he finally got back from his Walmart trip and all that, and guess who was on the phone? Nakayama, who's honestly chipper voice boomed through the phone. He says, Tom, how is everything? How are you adjusting? And uh, they spoke about some everyday stuff. And uh, yeah, he kind of mentioned the Walmart thing. And he was like, I think they're close, but they kind of both know there's some problems. So, but anyways, Nakayama says, look, I'm calling with good news. <laughs> Kalansky says, wonderful. Let's hear it. The company's new mascot is ready and he is sure to be a success. This is the hedgehog named Mr. Needlemouse. And uh, Nakayama says, ah, you've heard. <laughs> he said, well, we made some changes and his name is now Sonic. So this is, he's got the Sonic name now. So, uh, all right. He's asked, will he see him? Of course, it's back in the day with faxes. So they fax machine, stop sputtering as, it, as he sent it over. And Clancy picked up the sketch. Ah, he said, trying not to sound repulsed. <laughs> Very interesting. Kalansky stared at the drawing, trying to see in it what Nakayama saw, but it was no use. The hedgehog looked villainous and crude, complete with sharp fangs, a spiked collar, an electric guitar, and a human girlfriend whose cleavage made Barbie's chest look flat. Damn. <laughs> I assume this is his girlfriend? Yes, Nakayama said. <laughs> Her name is Madonna. Madonna. Oh, my, of course it's fucking Madonna. Yeah. Sonic was going to have Madonna's girlfriend. Yeah. Kind of racy, no? Tom Nakayama said inside, this is not the reaction I expected. <laughs> so um he has the artwork over to uh i think cats um and it says uh what do you think she looks it over and says i think we'll be the first video game company whose core demographic is goths <laughs> it said nakayama loves it of course he loves it she said it's a weirdly japanese i'm surprised the girlfriend's boobs aren't hanging out of the schoolgirl outfit <laughs> he says her name is madonna of course it is she said what kind of leeway did he say we had <laughs> 
So <clears throat> they actually get to work on um, like discussing that. And um, they actually go to Toys R Us and there's a whole bit in the book where they're looking at different stuff, looking at kids' toys and trying to find a way to change this fucking Sonic. So, because uh, it's <laughs> bad. <laughs> so the day after, Kalinske and Schroeder and Nielsen worked to turn this critter into something more than lines on a page. This is kind of interesting how they do this. So at first, their primary focus was subtraction, removing the fangs, the collar, the guitar, and the girlfriend. <laughs> then as he began to look more and more like a lost little hedgehog, they worked to add back some of the attitude, focusing less on gimmicks like a guitar or a girlfriend and more on his backstory and character. To better understand this speedy blue hedgehog, Kalinsky had Schroeder write a 13-page Bible that detailed the who, what, where, when, and why of his personality. He had grown up in Nebraska, lost his father at a young age, trained hard and developed world-class speed, and befriended a brilliant scientist who acted as a father figure until an experiment gone awry turned him into an evil villain. That was the like original from Sega of America backstory they built for Sonic. Eventually, the creative forces at Sega of America got to the point where they no longer felt like they were making up the Hedgehog story on the fly, but actually learning more about the character, who it was, and I truly existed. <clears throat> so they continued to work that out until they got more to, I think, I believe this is supposed to be the Sonic that we kind of know, is kind of how they built it into. Yeah. Um, so when it was ready, they call up Nakayama and said, we made some changes and want you to take a look. And Nakayama says, all right, I'll call you back. Uh, and he says, no, I'd like you to stay on the line. I want to hear your reaction, Kalansky said. So he he, he chuckled, but he said, okay. Um, so he gets the image and he says, oh, this is not even the same hedgehog that we gave you. Where's his lady friend and those sharp teeth of his? And Kalansky says, this is not the reaction I was expecting. <laughs> Echoing Nakayama's earlier words. <laughs> oh my god i'm like i'm looking at some first drafts of this freaking character i don't know if that book's got any illustrations it doesn't it. have any illustrations i don't think i've seen it yeah oh my gosh yeah this freaking this freaking character it's screw you know what she you know what she reminds me of she reminds me of fucking blonde betty boop oh yeah this fucking madonna character yeah no shit. except Except she doesn't have that fucking wide ass head that Betty Boop had, but <laughs> the the freaking the, the body and everything yeah. it screams like that kind of type. That type. Mm. It's like a freaking. Uh, I don't know. Let me see if I can send this. Show this to you. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and send that over to me. That'd be great. Uh, but it's funny. It says. Um, so while you're doing that, Nakayama gets the new image and brings it to Sega of Japan, and tempers begin to flare. The game designers believe they should be in charge of every aspect of Sonic. In normal circumstances, this would likely be the case, but since the character of Sonic has initially been created for the goal of success in the United States, Sega of America believed they knew best when it came to the taste and preferences of their audience. Days later, Nakayama called Kalinsky and he says, My people don't like it. Uh, it no longer resembles what they had in mind. We got to go back to the original. So that's when Kalinsky finally, like he said, there's two different companies here, Sega of Japan and Sega of America. And it didn't matter that Sega of Japan, that the new hedgehog might be better. All that mattered, it was that it wasn't theirs. So that became a lot of the, fr and that actually started becoming the undoing 
of Sega. Because like Klansky then makes a trip up there and they have a big talk where finally Sega of Japan like turns around and is like, okay, we'll do it your way. You know what I mean? But it, right. it took it took a lot. It took a lot to get there. So um <clears throat> and that leads them to um this is pretty good, uh, where um after they got that sorted out with Sonic, and there's more stories of Sonic where Tails gets involved and there's a whole drama behind Tails and that character as well. So uh, again, I strongly suggest people read the book. A lot of great stories in the book. I'm just picking a few out. I'm not gonna read a whole book. Look at the uh, look in the chat the general chat in Discord. I see. I see. I posted the picture of the freaking the of the early design. Oh my god! Yeah, I see it. That's hilarious. Yeah, it does look like that. You know, it kind of almost reminds me too of like um, not exactly because it's a very short blonde haired girl. But yes. it does kind of remind me of um, Jessica Rabbit from the. Um, yeah, who framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, who yeah. Framed Roger Rabbit a little bit, just the way the dress and the like the the body is a bit. But that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. very indicative of that era of stuff because Jessica Rabbit was based on that too. That kind yeah. of era of animation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hilarious. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I thought this was pretty interesting. They get into EA and EA. They talk to Trip Hawkins, who started EA, and basically EA back engineered. So. <clears throat> Uh, this is to put it like this ea and trip hawkins did not believe in consoles they did not like consoles they hated consoles and um they only did stuff for pc they thought pc is a place to play games the best place because they really didn't like being beholden to like nintendo's thing of like um hey 30 percent of your revenue plus buy the cartridges from me they had licensed they had like but what changed their mind a bit with dealing with consoles is they had licensed to Konami um, a bit of their material. And this is one of the stories here. Um, they I forget what game it is. I'm trying to look and see right quick. Uh, oh, Skate or Die, I want to say it is right here. Um, oh, my God. Skate or Die? Yeah. Yeah, with pressure mounting from his EA cohorts, Hawkins finally agreed to a small concession. He would allow EA to license their game Skate or Die to another software company named Konami, granting them the right to distribute the game on various other systems, including the NES. The decision to forgo directly putting the game on the Nintendo, yet allowing it to happen anyway, may seem strange, but it stemmed mostly from the fact that Hawkins simply didn't want to deal directly with Nintendo and their strict licensing agreements. That was the big thing he had a problem with. But here's the problem. EA received only a fraction of what Konami had made, which was only a fraction of what Nintendo had made. But the royalty from Skate or Die for the first month alone was more money than EA made on its best-selling computer games. Wow, that's insane, considering Skate or Die was fucking terrible. I think the biggest thing that this highlights is how powerful Nintendo was back in the 90s. Yeah. That's how much money they were making. Walmart oh, they were was making scared. money hand over fist. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, was, it was insane. They were printing that shit. You know what happened to Sega finally getting into Walmart is Sega, for like a year, I think it was, put billboards up saying to buy your Sonic, like buy Sega, your Sega Genesis, at your local retailers and put up billboards all around the Walmart headquarters 
in the Walmarts nearby and just paid to have them up there for like a year. And then as they did that, of course, Sonic came out and people started building and wanting to play Sonic. And finally, Walmart finally called and was like, will you fucking bring the Sega in here now and just get it? We we got people asking Hanover Fist for this shit. And like that, that's how Kalinske did it is basically threw a middle finger up at Walmart, put billboards up of where to find it. And Walmart was like the only place where you couldn't find it. And it took like a year for them to finally, but they finally came around and he got Sega's in Walmart's. But that's how that happened. But I mean, that's how scared these retailers were to step on the toes of things like Nintendo because Nintendo was that much money. So EA was like, Trip Hawkins was like, fuck, that's a lot of money. But he was like, still on some fuck Nintendo shit. So what they did was they back engineered a Sega and they did it legally. They had a clean room, how they how they word it here. And they back engineered the Sega Genesis to where they were able to make cartridges for it and basically cut out Sega, like they could just make cartridges and make games, sell in the stores. They could play on Sega. Yeah. Well, they didn't, that wasn't really helping Sega though. Uh, <clears throat> so this says, um, let's see, from a technical standpoint, um, I won't read right. Hold on. It was in the Hawkins decided while personal computers still the future, console games apparently were also the future. Uh, of course, talking about the skater die. Yet, despite the realization, Hawkins still couldn't stomach the notion of becoming beholden to Nintendo, which caused him to take a closer look at Sega. From a technical standpoint, the Genesis, with its 16 bits and 680,000 Motorola processor, was better equipped to handle EA's games. But even though Sega had such a puny market share, their licensing agreement wasn't all that different from Nintendo's. The rates were cheaper, of course, but conceptually, they both believed that the hardware companies deserved to be paid a toll by the software makers to do avoid this Hawkins arranged for electronic arts to reverse engineer Genesis. Unlike Tengen who bent the law to discover a workaround EA would do this legally by setting up a clean room quote unquote environment, which would create a Chinese wall between the engineers dismantling the machine and the engineers trying to rebuild it with the desire to change in this case, circumventing the console's lockout system. Uh, so now a year later, Trip Hawkins excitedly stood before the guys from Sega with the grandeur of someone had just been knocked over a little boy sandcastle. So, <clears throat> and this is the conversation's kind of interesting. I'm reading this. I thought this was good. All right, Trip Kalansky said while uh, replaying the connect the dots of crap they had to make up this day. Tell me how you did it. Eh, who cares? Hawkins mused. A to B to C to D, and here we are. The question is now what? What do you think is fair? You're getting nothing, uh, one of Clancy's guys bellowed. I'll bet you they didn't legally reverse engineer that thing. Those guys are too dirty to even bother with a clean room. Uh, Hawkins responded, would you really like to gamble away your company on a hunch? He turned to Kalinsky. You're new to these conversations. What say you? Kalinsky snickered. Who cares what I think? You're holding all the cards. Hawkins struck a defensive tone. You can drop the high and mighty routine. You think I wanted to do this? You think I like driving off the course? How is this my fault? You, cats, Nakayama, and those zombies in Nintendo? You guys just don't get it. I spend years making a game, hundreds of thousands of dollars in development costs. And then when it comes time to recoup, I need to buy the cartridges from you, get your saintly blessing, and then after all that, pay you 10 bucks for every game I sell. When Hawkins finished... Kalansky remained silent for a moment, this time by choice. Finally, he said, what, no fake tears? I mean, if you're going to 
lob a sob story at me, at least go to the whole nine yards. The Sega team couldn't help but crack smiles. I'm not being dramatic. I'm not by nature a dramatic person, Hawkins said, which might have been the falsest statement he had ever spoken. <laughs> the, the book kind of writes in there about Trip, who uh, he's basically the person credited with like building EA or creating EA to what it was. Uh, and I think he might have started the company, but I actually think he worked. He's the one who really developed the football games and got that going. Um, but yeah, there's there's more history on Trip Hawkins and stuff in some other books. That's pretty interesting. Um, it's the, so back to this. It's the price of doing business, Glensky said. Those thousands you spent on making games, what about the millions we spent making consoles? We barely even break on those systems. We barely break even on those systems. We're giving away razors in order to sell the blades. But they're my blades. Yeah, well, there are razors, Kalinsky shouted. Toyota uh, nudged Kalinsky in an attempt to calm him down. Hawkins shot up. Steve Jobs is an obsessive maniac, and even he doesn't make us pay him money to put our games on his computer. This was, after all, the basis for Hawkins' stubbornness. He came from the computer world, where anybody can make any games for the system. In some cases, the computer manufacturer even paid you money to develop for their system. So Kalinsky sighed. Oh, Trip, didn't your mother teach you the difference between right and wrong? Hawkins sighed too. Oh, Tom, the funny things a man will say when he's down in the fourth quarter. So these are some of the banders back and forth between them. But it, what it ends up building to uh, is them trying to make a deal where they say, uh, despite your strange phobia, Kalinsky says, here's what we propose. Sega will grant you permission to make authorized games for the Genesis. And instead of the 10 bucks for the cartridges, we'll only charge you four. And Kalinsky looked into his eyes. This was really a shakedown. In addition to the 60% cost reduction, Sega would also allow EA to publish up to 16 games per year and self-manufacture the cartridges. Hawkins took this in. That all sounds well and swell, but you're forgetting that we can do this for free, no? I'm forgetting nothing, and I'm sure if you realize you go through with it, you're going to bankrupt both companies, both us and you, with lawsuits back and forth. What's interesting about this is I think there was an episode on Netflix where they actually talked about the strategy of Sega and they talk about EA being instrumental in it. But the way yeah. the show paints it makes it sound almost more of like a friendly thing. Like they wanted to team up together, but it, but it wasn't. These were like the conversations that I kind of wanted to read out and highlight because it shows like the things between the console makers and the publishers and developers and stuff like that. Where there was this, at least back in the day, this was kind of the animosity behind everything. And this is part of what became Nintendo's undoing. Because Sega started being more friendly with the developers. And like the, the, the amount of cost it was to do business with them compared to Nintendo. And then once Sega started building itself with Sonic and becoming more of a platform, more people started pulling away from Nintendo because they wanted too much money. And going towards Sonic. I mean, going towards Sega and Sonic because, like, Nintendo just had all this, you know? And rightfully so. I mean, the amount of money that Nintendo was making and the amount of control is just ungodly. It's crazy. I've already read yeah. some of the numbers about it. Like, it was more money, just the snippet of money from Skate or Die that EA didn't even, like, Konami went and put it on Nintendo and they got a fraction of a fraction of a fraction... And that was more money than they made on the games on PC. That's how yes. big the cons. So it's just so crazy when you frame it like this and you see 
like EA was pretty instrumental because what ends up coming out of the deal, of course, is they make a deal to to do because Sega got the rights for Joe Montana to do a game and they needed somebody to do a game with it. So they basically agreed to like, look, why don't you just take one of your Madden games, change a few things in it and then call it Joe Montana and let us put it out like that. And, you know, people won't figure it out. It'll be fine. And, uh, yeah, that's how it worked. <laughs> people didn't really realize. Because, right. yeah, I mean, hell, all football games are kind of the same anyway. So, fuck, whatever. So that so they ended up working those deals out where they, they ended up, EA started putting their games out for Sega because they were, like, on some fuck Nintendo shit. But that was, like, a lot of the back and forth in this kind of tension to make this deal happen was a lot of arguing back and forth before it really came to fruition. Um, and again, I encourage the console wars, uh, you know, read the book. I didn't want to end on such a dour note on Nintendo though. I did want to speak a little on Nintendo and I want to talk about these two guys, Al Stone and Ron Judy. Do you know those names at all, Kev? Al Stone sounds familiar. I'm trying to think, place the name. They I'll were kind of like some kind of VPs or something like that. They got names in Nintendo, but originally they were two guys that just had a, uh, they owned their own trucking company. And they were, you know, just trying to run their own business, doing trucks and stuff, and um, got in touch with someone who said, hey, we have these Nintendo arcade cabinets. And this was back when Arakawa was just coming over to try and start up Nintendo of America. And yeah, that's it. That's Al, it. He, uh, Al, Alan Stone. He's a he was one of the co-founders of Nintendo America. Yeah. So what he did was yeah. they were starting. They had owned a couple of restaurants and stuff like that, or bars, or had some kind of dealings with them, and started putting the Nintendo machines in there. They had a, they set up space wars, which was like a ripoff of space invaders. Yeah. So then they had, they started putting all those out and they were doing really good. And they started growing their presence on like their arcades and where they were all at. So they started um, doing that and they got in touch with Arakawa who then they set up with him, Nintendo of America. And they started like using the network they built off of like what they got with space wars our call started cutting out basically the middleman, them dealing directly with Nintendo now on arcade cabinets. And they put out Space Fever, Space Launcher, Space Firebird on top of Space yeah. Wars. <clears throat> and people got like, you know, really that stuff kind of got old. So then they were like, okay. So our, they came up with a new game Nintendo did called Radar Scope. Scope. Yes. And that's, I think that's of more of an infamous story out there that um, Arakawa bought in big and bought a bunch of cabinets on radar scope thinking like, oh, this is going to be it. And we're going to, you know, we're going to run it because we need a, we need a killing. We need to make it because we've been losing on all these space whatevers. Yeah. Cause everything was space <clears throat> back then. Like freaking, there was yeah. just way too many space games. Yes. True. So then, um, so they do that and Lo and behold, um, doesn't do great. They don't really want it. And they're stuck with a bunch of cabinets and nothing to really do for it. And they need something. They need something to get rid of this stuff because it's a loss. So in steps in Miyamoto. And Miyamoto makes a Popeye game. Yeah. But apparently they can't get a hold of the 
Popeye name that falls through. So it becomes Donkey Kong. And then <clears throat> they send over Arakawa all the like, um, they don't send the cabinets. They just send the chips and stuff. So it's like cheaper. And they all the radar scope cabinets they have, they just swap out the internals and make it a Donkey Kong thing. Slap on stickers for Donkey Kong, whatever. And it was at this point when they got it, they saw this Donkey Kong game and a lot of the sales guys there were like, what the fuck is this? I want to say there's even stories out there that some people like quit. Not not Al Stone or, or Ron Judy. They stayed with the company, but like some of the other people who were like helping get the cabinets out there and stuff like that. It was like, this is stupid. This is not the direction like... But when they put those Donkey Kong cabinets out there, they went crazy. They sold. They did great. They got they, they got around. And like they really helped build Nintendo into what it ended up becoming, which is what we talked about a bit with what Hurdle Sega had to do to try and get in on Nintendo. And um Al Stone and Ron Judy, when they were setting up their trunking company, um, do you know who the lawyer was that they got to help them? Oh, uh, shit. What the fuck is his name? The, the It was the same lawyer that Nintendo had all throughout the freaking the 90s. I can't remember the dude's name. Andrew Lincoln, who became the VP of Nintendo. Yes, Andrew Lincoln. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And he's the one that helped them with the Donkey Kong lawsuit. Lawsuit. Would that yeah. happen? Because the Universal went after them with the success of Donkey Kong, saying that King Kong, let's, that's ours. We put that movie out and stuff. That's us. And um, Andrew Lincoln went through all the paperwork and like realized uh, they never made a trademark on this. It's it's open IP. And yeah. uh, a lot of companies like Atari and, and a number of other companies, because once they started making this thing with Nintendo, they also went after a lot of the other gaming companies at the time. And a lot of them just settled. Settled for all this stuff. But not Nintendo. They they held firm on this, and the judge sided. The judge sided with um, Nintendo, and that's that famous story that that put Andrew Lincoln in to be like number one guy right under like Arakawa, and he stayed with the company a long time. Yeah. Oh like yeah, said, very long, the all throughout the nineties, uh, right up until freaking Reggie came in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right mm-hmm. up until Reggie came in. So. Yeah. But that was, all started with the these two guys, um, Al Stone and Ron Judy. Yep. Who were kind of the guys that you don't hear their names out much, but they were the guys who was because of their infrastructure that they started up with getting arcade cabinets out there before they even were working directly with Nintendo. They were the ones who kind of got Donkey Kong out to you in the arcade cabinet. If you were one of those people who were playing the arcade cabinets of Donkey Kong at that time. And um, it built that company. And for all the bad that sometimes this book does get into, because it does kind of build into Sega being the underdog who wins it. I mean, Nintendo did a lot to fix the gaming industry in America. I mean, Atari shit the bed bad. So Sega kind I mean, Nintendo had to kind of make some pretty stringent rules on how they deal with developers um, making sure that these games were quality, um, charging a lot of money behind it. But it, but even so, like a lot of times they still, even though Nintendo demanded so much money from their developers and publishers and stuff for, for the games to be on their system, it was still worth it. 
even EA had to take a second look when they saw how much money Skate or Die gave them. You know? Yeah. And that's not even a really big title from back in the day. Yeah, but, that game was freaking terrible. Like I said, uh, it didn't even... I don't think it even did that well. Like you, like, and this it also speaks to how small the game, the PC gaming market was back then, like yeah. the early eighties, the late eighties, and then the early nineties, uh, right up until the PC didn't really start taking off until probably about mid late nineties, right around. Freaking Doom was probably like the biggest thing that happened to PC. That's why everybody still talks about it, that, like PC gaming, because back until then you didn't really have a lot to really say that like oh yeah well this is a classic you know pc game from back in the day yeah yeah because like there were so many different pcs on the market there was like the zx spectrum you had your apple computers you had dos and like there was all kinds of different things so like it was it was a very different beast the freaking pc gaming market back then so consoles had a much more of a leg up yeah well not only that too if you look at some of the models that like if look at id software when they put out wolfenstein when they put out doom the way they got a lot of that stuff out there was almost more by donation method like it was technically free the first couple levels were free and then um then um if you wanted the rest you can pay and it was more like a whatever you want to pay kind of thing like it, there were, it was a weird pay structure that was kind of just based on what money they could gather. So there's not a lot of money you're going to get in, as opposed to having these easy consoles that you can bring home to kids and then you're charging these premium prices and making tons of money. Hand of, that's how Nintendo stayed afloat for so long. They've yeah. made so much money through the 80s and 90s, especially the 90s. That when they started shitting the bed towards like the mid 2000s and shit, especially with things like, because even though they said they shit the bed with like the Wii U, the Wii was technically a success. Uh, Game yeah, the Wii, the Wii was their, it's still probably their biggest success. I don't think the Switch has sold more than the Wii. Outsold yeah, the Wii the Switch yet. is doing great now. The Wii is definitely one of the biggest success of a console, but I don't know how much, again, it's the whole thing that like I was just talking about with uh, the conversation with Kalinsky and Hawkins, though. They sold a lot of Razors. But did they sell as many blades? Because that's where they were making the money from. A lot of times, these consoles are lost leaders. You're, you're you're taking barely any money for them, to in hopes to make a lot of money on your software purchases. But you, a lot of casual gamers would buy a couple games for their Wii, so there would be a lot of sales on that front load. But I don't know how much they were investing in a lot of these other games because a lot of places to play games weren't on the Wii. It just wasn't that. Yeah, so. the, a lot of the things on the Wii, uh, the Wii was weird in the way that it did because like people would buy like their Mario cards because there was a Mario, then like Mario, Mario Galaxy and Mario Galaxy Two, they're two of the best selling Mario games of all time. Like just about everybody who has a Wii has those two games, and then you of course you have games like uh, Twilight Princess that was on the Wii, Skyward Sword was on the Wii, um. That's what I was thinking. What else? They had like the Metroid, uh, the Metroid Prime collection. They freaking re released that on the Wii. Like they did things to try to sell games on the Wii, but there was so much fucking subware on the Wii that a lot of times things, I guess, like as you know, as core gamers, a lot of times we forget about these freaking games that they had. 
they really I think they did support the Wii good enough that they were able to make a good bit of profit on it. And the Wii was so fucking cheap for them to make at that time. Yeah. You gotta remember that. You gotta remember that. This is a time where HD consoles were all coming out and they were getting pushed everything was getting pushed in HD. Nintendo made the bet that uh HD wasn't going to be the next big thing. Right. And that's one of the reasons they chose to stick with the Wii. And they even came out saying that they they feel like that was one of their regrets. Iwata came out saying that that uh he kind of made the wrong bet with that. He was saying that he should have made the Wii an HD console, but he didn't. But he didn't he didn't think HD was gonna take off the like the way it did because it was too expensive. Mm. Interesting. And so yeah, that's an it's an it was an interesting statement, but Iwata came out and said that. But mm. yeah, the Wii was definitely profitable. The, it would, I don't know how much they were selling the Wii at a loss because it was so fucking cheap for them to make. Yeah. Well, um, that about does it for the stories I have. Um, so we got a decent little two-hour episode. I thought it might have been a little shorter than that, but um, I did grab a couple of decent stories that I thought were fun. Uh, I hope you found them a little interesting, Kev. I don't know if they were things you didn't know. I think some might have been. But, some um, of it was, some of it wasn't, you yeah. know. Uh, some of the stuff I've said before in episodes, like a long time ago. Uh, some list, long, if you have any long time listeners who've listened to like all these episodes, you might have heard. I've, I have spoken on some of these stories before, like the the Sonic with the big tits girl. I didn't remember that her name was Madonna. Madonna. That's actually pretty funny. I didn't really realize that. But uh, yeah, the, the the story about Walmart was interesting. I think especially with how big. Uh, Nintendo was ten percent of their, you know, revenue was was it fucking Nintendo? So or was yeah, it their profits? Huge. I forget. But anyway, it's like it was huge. But um, that one, and then and I think I've talked about uh Judy Stone and Judy, uh, and this the part they played in building Nintendo. You always hear about Arakawa. You always hear Nintendo America, Donkey Kong, but you don't hear about the guys who actually put it on the ground. And they were just trucking company guys that were just trying to find something. And they were making tons of money putting out Nintendo cabinets. And they realized they were making more money with that than they were with their trucking. Because the trucking, where you could make money, there was still, there was like, what they said was there like a lot of politics and red tape and things that like, a lot of cost involved with the operation that made the money make, the money they made, they weren't get as, it wasn't as profitable. But yeah. the, the, putting out arcade cabinets there was not as much cost to it. And it was just like money. It was just making money. So that's what really got them in bed with Nintendo, especially when they finally got approached by Arakawa. And that's when we got Nintendo of America, <clears throat> which right. um, Arakawa became that because he married uh, <clears throat> Yamauchi's daughter. And she actually didn't want him to be part of Nintendo because of what it did to her dad she kind of had a bad relationship uh, with her dad as the book goes because of like the way he was like with his company, with Nintendo and like he, he was focused more on the company than his family. Uh, so yeah, our wife was very scared of that, but <clears throat> he made him an offer of going developing Nintendo of America and doing his thing there. So he wouldn't be as influenced by, Yamauchi, he wouldn't be working directly with his, uh, basically his father-in-law. So the wife uh, was like, you know what, okay, and supported him in it, and they moved over to America over that. So um, uh, definitely interesting stuff. <clears throat> There's a lot more stories in there. There's actually a lot more E3 stories in the book as well, which really paints a picture of how important E3 was back in the day compared to what it is now. 
Um, <clears throat> but I just thought I shared a few. Um, uh, Blake Harris is the guy's name. And um, he wrote the book uh, Console Wars. And it's just one of them. There's other books. There's one, How Nintendo Took Over America. That one's more Nintendo focused. And that one actually gets in a little more detail with the lawsuit on King Kong. If I remember right, there's actually um, <clears throat> there's a phrase that one of the execs from Universal tells, I think, Andrew Lincoln that that his lawyers, his lawsuit department, whatever department it is where he, he sues people, is actually his profit center. That's what he yeah, tells Yeah, uh, I remember about. saying that. Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah, I think I told it to you because I, that was something I read in the book. I remember bringing it up on the podcast before. So you might have heard it from me. But... um. That like that was actually a big phrase in the court as well that they brought up of the way that they like Universal treated these lawsuits and the fact that nobody had any trademarks on it. And in fact, the, this book doesn't get into it, but the other book does. I want to say also with that lawsuit, they also said that um, Universal had defended their rights to use King Kong uh, against someone else who was trying to client claim the same thing. And their argument was, Oh, it's like a open IP for any, anybody can use giant monkey for anything. So we did King Kong, you know, yeah. somebody else, yeah, that's exactly- they, they made an argument in the previous case. So Andrew Lincoln found that as well. This book yep. kind of paraphrases that whole court thing. There are other books that go deeper in depth to it. So it's kind of fun to read. Because you'll read the same stories sometimes when you read other books about the history of like the gaming and all that. But you'll get more detail out of others than some. Um, there's another book I read. Uh, I forget the name of it is. All Your Bases Are Belong to Us. Uh, it's like a famous m- mistranslation of a line from a game. And uh, I think that's the name of it. Some kind of thing like that. And that one, I want to say, gets into like how a lot of like video game companies started up, like Rockstar, EA, you know, a lot of these other ones that started up back in the early 2000s, the mid 90s, and whatever like that. And they tell some similar stories that came into console wars that come into all these other things, but they give more detail because they're more specific about these other things. So if you're interested in that stuff, those are always fun reads to do. Uh, and let me know if you want more segments of that, of little history nuggets, I'll do it. I'll, I'll see if I, cause I like to read and I read that stuff and, um, I can easily go back and kind of skim over and find some of these things, what I did for this and pull some stories out that are kind of fun to kind of go over. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants to get feedback on that, that'd be cool. But if not, then that's fine too. We'll figure it out. But, uh, that's been who's next podcast. I am Seth. Mr. Kevin, thank you for doing an episode with me. I know it was a little not too last minute, but I think I hit you up yesterday about it. But yeah. uh, I didn't really find out till a little later either about everybody's stuff happening, so it wasn't going to be a movies and comics recording. But anyway, um, looking forward to RE RE4 remake. Um, yes. we might, if I'm able to record with the guys next weekend, we're not going to do a recording next week. So then the next time we record together, we might be able to cover all of The Last of Us. I think all the episodes should be released by then. I think. I think so, too. Yeah. Uh, If we don't record next Saturday, but the following, I want to say, then we should be able to finish up The Last of Us for for The Losing Lives. So we'll finish The Last of Us. That'll be the plan for that. And then we'll definitely be talking about our 
you know, playthroughs of Resident Evil 4 Remake. I mean, by that time, I'll have probably at least played a few hours of it. You know, I mean, because the next time we record will probably be um, around the time Resident Evil 4 Remake releases. So right. uh, hopefully we'll have some takes on that. Uh, maybe we'll play some more Wulong. Um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, but anyways, I'm out of here. Um, thanks. Peace.